Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. <clears throat> I'm excited about today. <clears throat> Would you uh, join me as my voice clears up and <clears throat> and um, as I, I pray once again? Uh, but as I pray, I, w- I want to invite you guys to um, to just wait on the Holy Spirit. I, I can't think of a better way to start a message. Um, and then I'll, I'll just kind of guide you through that prayer. Why, why don't you pray with me? Um, dear Father, as the, the, the people you love on the Sabbath day come to church, I pray that you would, you would meet us. You have paid the ultimate price to claim us as your own. And a lot of us are tired and we're distracted. Some of us are anxious. We, we need you to speak to us. Your voice is full of power and authority and compassion. Uh, we love it when you speak to us. Even when you break our hearts and we repent, it's a kindness. So our hearts come to you, and we pray, Father, that you would speak tenderly to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, we're going to talk about a few ideas about money and possessions. Really, it's simple ideas, but I really feel like It might be a simple idea. It might be even dressed down. But I think it's, these are powerful ideas from the Bible. And I feel like if we really believed in these ideas, it would change our lives. It would change the very pace of life. There'd be more joy and more freedom, more power, more meaning. So, I'll tell you what, during the second part of this message, we're going to get more practical. But for the first part, I would like to start with big, high thoughts about God. So today we're going to go through one of my favorite scripture passages. And uh, and so I, I kind of feel like I'm standing on the holy ground a little bit, you know. So if you will turn with me to the second chapter of Philippians, and we're just going to take this piece by piece, okay? So this is Philippians chapter 2, starting in the very tail end of verse 5, going into verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes that, by the way, before he says this, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, right? 
So if you look to the person next to you, Paul is saying to the person next to you and actually to you too, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. Now, the rest of the, these five verses are about Jesus. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, we stop right there. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, uh, you know, we can pass by these verses too quickly. I don't want to do that. This is where Jesus started, and I think it's worth going into. When Paul was writing about this, he was talking about Jesus Christ before he came to earth. He's talking about Jesus Christ in heavenly glory. Now, did you know that there is another writer by the name of Isaiah who tried to put this into words, this, this, this vision of Jesus in glory? And we know from the Apostle John that the person Isaiah saw on the throne in that beautific vision of chapter 6, the person he saw was Jesus, according to the Apostle John. Now, I think in order to fully get into this mode of picturing and imagining what we're talking about here, I think there's a better way to do this, okay? So, just give me a second, I'm going to come back, but, I, but I'm just thinking a better way, so just stay with me. You all are with me, right? Still with me? Okay. Hello. Okay. Um, so, no, there's not going to be a baptism today. Or maybe I'm going to baptize myself today. Um, this is what you call a higher pulpit, like literally higher pulpit. Okay. Stay with me. Right? There's a reason why I'm up here. What I, what I want to help you all do is to visualize what Isaiah saw. So, Paul starts to talk about Jesus in his heavenly glory, right? And so in this description, he talks about this great throne, all right? So I want you to imagine where this stage is. On top of this stage is a, a huge, gigantic throne. Can you all see the throne? Okay, now it's interesting. There is a, a glorious majestic, radiant person on the throne, but it's kind of like Isaiah, or, you know, Isaiah's like, it, it's too much to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about the person on the throne. I'm going to talk about the accessories. I'm going to talk about his robe, okay? Let me tell you about this robe. Now, you see Jesus on the throne, and the throne reaches all the way over here by the stained glass window, and Jesus on the throne in the robe. The robe is, is flowing over. It's, 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 it's like enveloping Jared and going all the way to the, to the middle of the pews. Can you see that robe? Now, so Isaiah wants to talk about the robe because the person on the throne is too glorious. Now, Isaiah goes on to imagine. Now, if you can look at this expanse, this very wide space. Again, think of a better church to do this here. So much space. But you're looking up there. 
and there are angels floating around. Can you see the angels? Can you, can you see the angels? And these angels, it's interesting, they have six wings. Why do they have six wings? Well, two cover their feet, two on the back, so they're flying. Very interesting, but there's two that cover the eyes. Why do you need wings to cover your eyes? Can it be that looking at Jesus is so glorious that you need protection? Because if you were to look at Jesus with your bare eyes, it would burn your eye sockets out. So they have wings that are covering the eyes like sunglasses. And they're crying out. What are they crying out? Holy, but not just one time. They're saying, holy, three times, holy, holy. Okay, that is Jesus in his heavenly glory. Angels crying, holy, holy, holy. Now, uh, I want to continue with the scripture. Verse 7. But he, Jesus, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Uh, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says that the most incredible, I'm paraphrasing, off the wall, Christian doctrine, so difficult to fathom. Actually, it's not the atonement. It's not even the resurrection. It's not even creation. It's like hands down, the most mysterious, hard to fathom doctrine is the incarnation. He says, it is here in the incarnation that the most profound, most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. Now, uh, I want to do this. Just to, it's just kind of a, a, a brain teaser. It's a mind exercise. Uh, how many of you have ever taken the SAT? Good. What was your score? I'm just kidding. Um, what, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you. And if you remember this question in the SAT, I want you to give your version, okay? I'm, I'm bringing back some memories here, but here it is. It goes like this, okay? God becoming a human being is like a human being becoming blank, okay? God becoming a human being. Jesus becoming a human being is like a, you, one of you, becoming blank. Got it? Okay, now what I want you to do is just turn to someone next to you and give your best fill-in-the-blank answer. Go. Okay, we got some smart people in the room. I like to hear some answers, okay? There's no bad answers. Unless it's really bad, and then I'll point it out. Just kidding. Um, give, me, give me something. How about some people over here? Brian, you got a good one? He's praying right now. Uh, a human being becoming an iPhone. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a... Uh, 
It, yeah, it's something living to something that's not, right? Absolutely, I can't, you know, life as an iPhone would be terrible. Okay, very busy life. Um, someone was over here, the, the, yeah, yeah, a dog, yeah, uh, uh, why a dog? Oh, master, okay, that's good, I see the, the, the theme of master, good, good. Anyone over here? Pam, you got one? An ant, I like an ant, ant, very, very big, very, very very, very small, right, absolutely. Um, but my answer, not, I mean, it's just a little different. I actually thought it was like a, a speck of inorganic dust, right? So something that, living to something that's not a big, small, but I think all the concepts are very, are very, very similar, right? But um, I, I think we, we all see this as, because I, I, I don't, can't imagine life as a speck of dust or wanting to become a speck of dust. It is a great mystery. It's a great mystery of all time. Jesus steps down from his throne in heaven and becomes a flesh and blood man. So now you're thinking, well, okay, so then the multitudes can bow down and serve him. No, no, no. He comes down and with his powers, he loves people. Oh, he loves people. He serves them. He uses his power to heal. He teaches them. He has compassion on them. There's one time when Jesus is with his closest friends. It was near the end of his life. And all this, they're having this intimate dinner. And then, poof, he just disappears. Where did he go? He went to the kitchen. Where did he go? Looking around and stuff. He comes back. And he's coming back. And he has the towel of a slave around his waist. Jesus, what are you doing? And then he bends down, and he's stooping down, and he's washing dirty, stinky feet. Imagine God's son in heaven so glorious that angels must shield their eyes from him. And he's donning the towel of a slave washing dirty feet. Who is this Jesus that we serve? He's beautiful. Ah, but there's more. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus dies a horrible, shameful death reserved for the worst, worst kind of criminal. You see, the cross wasn't just an instrument of death. It was an instrument of torture and shame. because Torture because they would have you suffocate up there, hoisted, slowly. <gasps> But it was also shameful because you were naked. You were naked and exposed to everyone. In, in the cross, the Persians invented the cross, but the Romans perfected it. You are going to die slowly and shamefully. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for my sins. This is the God we serve. Wow. Jesus Christ took the greatest emotion, the greatest downgrade in human history, going from the highest place to the lowest place. And it's interesting, if you keep on reading this, this poem, uh, Paul goes on to say, so that at the name of Jesus, after he went to the lowest place, every knee 
in heaven and earth shall bow. Which means that he basically went from the lowest place back up to the highest place, arguably even higher than where he started. So, what does this all mean? Well, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Love is downward mobility. Now, I'll tell you why I'm a preacher. And after 15 years of doing this, I can't believe I get to give this message. Because I'll tell you, a lot of people feel like preachers are like moral teachers. And, you know, you, I go around and say, hey, be a good girl, be a good boy, be good, be good. And I'm telling you, if that were my message, it would get old. Like, it would, you would get old for you. It would get old for me, too. I'm tired of just saying be good. But I'm so thankful that at the core, that's not my message. My message is of this God clothed in majesty with angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And this God, for love's sake, empties himself, strips himself of all the comforts of heaven, takes an unfathomable step down to become a man, and he does it for love's sake. And he sacrifices himself on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. Every wrong thing that we've ever done, all the guilt, all the shame, he paid for it. And it's not just historical fact. It's the greatest love story that's ever been told. And I get to share that message. And so do you. And I love it. But I want you to listen to this. Paul, Paul not only, listen to this, listen to this. Paul not only presents a savior to receive in this passage, but, you, but he also says, because he says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. He's not just presenting a savior to receive, he's also presenting a path to follow. Not just a savior to receive. But if you've never received the savior, oh, you need, you gotta receive the savior. And once you have received this savior, there's also a path to follow. He says your attitude should be the same as this, which means that, in other words, your heart should take the same path of Jesus in downward mobility. Now, if there's something that the example of Jesus says to us, it says that if you choose this path, right? So Jesus went the lowest place, but then he was raised up to the highest place. There's, there's, a, there's a message there, that if you take this path of downward mobility, if, if you... Jesus invites you, and if you take that invitation and go with him and to the lowest place, the message here is that there is glory, there is reward, there is a life brimming with love, joy, meaning, and re eternal reward. In other words, it's like the best way to live. In one sense, it's terrible. But in the other sense, he's like, this is the most terrific, terrible place to be in the world. And I wouldn't trade it for any other place. And that is a little bit of the, the, the mystery of the, of the Christian life. Uh, all right. I think for the rest of the message, we're going to have to get really concrete. We're going to have to get really practical. We want to say, okay, what does this mean for us? What does this mean? Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the idea of simplify. How can we simplify our lives? I want to start by giving you a definition of downward mobility that I got from Eugene Cho. Here it is. I love this definition. This is the definition of downward mobility. Downward mobility is defined 
as this. It's to be content with what you have. In a world that says you don't have enough. And to find your ultimate contentment in Jesus Christ. I think that's worth repeating, so I'm going to say it again. Downward mobility is to be content with what you have in a world that says you don't have enough and to find your ultimate contentment in Jesus Christ. Okay, now let me start with this idea. We live in a world that says you don't have enough. Am I right? Your iPhone, assuming that you have an iPhone, but if you do, it's not enough. Your screen is too small, you need an iPhone Plus, Amen. Your iPhone 6 is outdated. I don't know how many of you got the iPhones back, but you, that's outdated because you need the 10. You need the 10. You need, you need an upgrade. I don't know if you have a house, you rent a house, you own a house, but whatever that house is, your house is way too small. You need a bigger house. And then in that house, you need better gadgets in that house if you want to be happy. Can I get an amen, the world says. Your car is too old. It's too old. I have this... Crack in the windshield. You got, you, I, you, that's so ghetto to drive around with a crack in my windshield. I need to fix it because I need it. I need it. You know your clothing? Way outdated. You need a Supreme shirt and you can buy one from on. <laughs> you need it. You need a Supreme shirt. Um, and so I think it's good for us to acknowledge that we live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with the message that you don't have enough. And so we're like, yeah, I don't have enough. I, I need more. I need, I need to buy more. I need these things to be happy. Now, here is the Apostle Paul entering into the American conversation that you don't have enough. You need an upgrade. You don't have enough. And here's Paul, 1 Timothy uh, 6, starting in verse 6. Here's Paul. He says, now Paul enters the conversation, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to this. Here's the first reason why. You brought nothing into the world. And you know what? You're going to bring nothing out of the world. And he goes on. He says, if we, now look at this. This is Paul's standard, okay? If we have food and clothing. Like, really, Paul? Food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation into a, what's the word, next word? A snare. Well, you know what a snare is? Trap. It's like a mouse trap. It's more like a bear trap. Okay? Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. By the way, wandered away from the faith. We know some people like that. We all know some people like that. But a lot of people could be distracted from the faith. A lot of people could be suffocated in their faith. But, but back to this point. Okay, we live in this world. We are bombarded with these. You don't have enough. It's not big enough. You need an upgrade. And then Paul comes in the conversation. You know, you know what? You know what? You know what, guys? If you have food and clothing, which represent the basic necessities of life. If you have food and clothing, Paul says, that's enough. That's enough to be happy. That's enough to sustain joy. Now, at this point in the conversation, I have this great conversation in my head. And I, I don't know how your mind works. M my mind works like this, where suddenly my mom's voice comes into the conversation. You guys hear your mom's voice? What does that voice sound like? You could actually turn to your mom right now and hear her voice. 
what does that voice sound like? And for my mom, my mom is like, my mom is like, Paul's in her house, and I just, I hear her voice. And I hear my mom saying, hey, Paul, so you're saying you want my son to drive around in a car that always breaking down, where we're closed with holes in it, live hand to mouth, 20 bucks in your pocket. You want my son to be an artist? You're like, Paul, get out of my house. You're like, you, you don't save for retirement? So irresponsible. You, you want my son to be homeless? You want my, Paul, you want my son to be homeless? Is that the way of holiness? I think my mom was like, I think Paul is a little bit out of touch with reality. Is that true? Is Paul out of touch? Do we believe Paul? Like, Paul, really? Well, I, 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 think, I think Paul might be on to something here, and I, I want to give an illustration. Uh, let me put it like this. Did you know that during the first weekend of, of December, we're going, we're preparing to take a team to do a weekend missions trip in Tijuana. We do this every year. And uh, what I've seen in the past like 10 years is that this trip has become really popular with families. And, and parents, for some reason, love to take their kids to Tijuana. And in, during that trip, we build this uh, a home. Uh, uh, a majestic home for like a family of three, which is really a little hut. It's the size of my bathroom, right? And so we, we do this, and parents love to do this. By the way, th- this is not to say that only families can go. We, we want all kinds of people to go, right? We want everyone to go. But, but, but for some reason, families like this, and you would think, well, you know, families are so busy, really? What, why is this? And so I did a little bit of interviewing some families like, and parents, like, w- w- how come this has become so popular among kids? And this is what parents said. Parents said, you know, we love to take our kids to TJ because then our kids go and they see poverty firsthand. And they're like, oh, they live in this hut? And then they come home and they're so thankful for all the stuff they have, you know? So we love to bring them there so, you know, put an end to entitlement. Wow, mom, that we have so much stuff, you know? And so we want them to be thankful for their stuff. So we take them to TJ. And that makes sense. And so then I started to take my kids to TJ. But here's the thing. Funny thing happens. That was the first lesson. But you know how a lesson has a way of going deeper and adapting and evolving, and then the lesson becomes a new lesson? So that kind of happened. Then we went back to TJ, same family, same kids, right? And again, it was the lesson. So you should be happy for what you have in the States. Okay. And then suddenly we looked around at the people that we were serving who don't seem to have all the things we have in the States. And we're like looking around going, but why are they so happy? They really seem happy. I mean, a a family of three lives in a house the size of my bathroom. Okay, they don't have a Vivid Instapot or a Tesla. How could they possibly be happy? They don't have the iPhone 10. How could they be happy? Their bedroom and kitchen and living room and family room is all combined into a small hut the size of my bathroom. And they're happy. Now, not just happy, but it's like ironically we come to serve them and they're happier than us. Why are they happier? Why are they happier? They don't have the big house, but you know what they have is they have a richer, deeper community. They have this vast network of mama and, and papa and cousins, and, and they all live together. And so there's never a sense of loneliness. And then also there just seems to be a deeper, richer, more dependent, more vibrant faith 
It's like, I want that. And then you go to TJ, you're like, I don't know who's poor anymore. I thought you guys were poor and I'm rich, but I actually feel like I'm poor and you're rich. Can it be that Paul's right? Is Paul right? Paul's saying godliness with contentment is great gain. He's saying, you brought nothing into the world. You know what? You can't take anything out. If you have food and clothing and basic necessities, this is enough to be happy. Do we believe that? In other words, church, you don't need all this stuff to be happy. Jesus is enough. Now, some of our lives are just crazy busy. Because we feel like if I'm going to sustain this cost of living and to get all this stuff, i got to be crazy busy. Imagine Jesus, Paul, going, you know, you don't need all that stuff. And if you really believe it, there's a lot of freedom that comes. A lot more time to invest in things that really matter. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not thinking that Paul is being legalistic and saying, you know, you have to choose this path of poverty because the holy path. No, I don't think he's saying that. You guys, the goal is not having less stuff. It's having stuff matter to you less. The goal, once again, is not having less stuff. But having stuff matter to you less and having Jesus matter to you more. It's not about having less stuff. It's about being free. It's about not having all this stuff that ties you down. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to the one and you despise the other. But you can't serve both God and money. Downward mobility is about being free of this tyrant. It's breaking free of this tyrant, this master called materialism that wants to enslave you. And so your heart is free of this tyrant so you can be totally available, totally devoted to the only master who really matters, the one who stepped down from heaven and emptied himself for love's sake. Now, I'd like to invite Diana to come up here. Diana is um, a member of our youth group, and she is really a cool person, and she's got a story to tell. Diana, I'm going to give you this. Diana, you want to just say hi to everyone? Hi. <laughs> okay, remember to put the mic right up. Okay, there yeah. you go. Okay. Um, by the way, didn't you do something yesterday for your grandma? It was her 80th birthday. Yeah. You did like some sort of talent, right? What was the talent, by the way? I just toasted her and I told a joke. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, do people want to hear the joke? Is it, is it, no? No, it's no? okay. Really? Okay, why don't you yeah. say the joke? <laughs> How many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Church? Just say how many. Come on. No, do it again. Do it again. Come on, church. How many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Ten. One to actually do it and nine to say, it should be me up there. I like that. I was good. No, come on. Come on. That was good. All right, how about another one? I'm just kidding. Okay. All right, so, so Diana has a story to tell, okay? Um, uh, she went through a season where she was doing some things pretty radical, and, but really it, it, it wasn't for the sake of being radical. It was the solution to a problem. And so, Diana, can you, can you share the story behind that and, and kind of share what the problem was? 
Yeah, so last year I was at a point where I was really caring about my appearance and how I presented myself to others. So I was caring about like what I wore, my clothing, and just like material possessions. And I was spending a lot of my time shopping and just caring about what I was going to wear and what people thought of me. And I realized I wasn't being authentic to myself. So last year, I decided that I was going to downsize and minimize my closet to 40 pieces of clothing, which is called a capsule closet. And that went really well for me, so I downsized even more this year. And now I only have seven white t-shirts and three pairs of jeans that I rotate through every day. Wow, okay. Okay, I first want to go like, really? Okay, wow. That's, uh, um, so, so the problem was like you, you, were, you were like into, too into your stuff and to appearances, and you said the problem with that was that you're being inauthentic to yourself. Okay, and so you, you decided to reduce to 40 articles of clothing. Where'd you get that idea? So I saw some people doing the capsule closets online, and I thought I would try it out myself. And I gave myself, I was like, I'll do this for three months, and if it goes well, I'll just keep doing it. And it went really, really well for me. So, yeah. Okay, so then when you reduced to 40, was that a hard decision? I mean, did you like agonize? Did you weigh each clothing? Did you pray over it? I mean, how did you, how did you, how did you make those, how was that for you, just reducing to 40? It actually wasn't that hard. So my process was I put all my clothing into a box, and then over the course of a month, I took out the pieces that I truly loved to wear. And then at the end of the month, I just donated the box. And, like, it's really hard to miss something that you're not using. So a lot of that clothing I just forgot about. Okay. So you went down to 40, right? And then you went even further. Is that right? Yeah. And you went for, to seven white T-shirts and two pairs of jeans? Three, actually. Three pairs of jeans. <laughs> okay. So if I were to go in your closet, I would only see that, like, like seven and, and three? Yeah. My entire closet is, like, one shelf. <laughs> okay. Minus one because you're wearing it today. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Okay, well, what did that do for you? Like, was that a good experience? Was there something gained? What did you learn? What was the aha moment by doing this? It's been really amazing. I can definitely see myself, like, keeping this up for several years. Um, I realized that, like, my stuff doesn't define me. I would honestly be fine if, like, all my stuff burned up because, like, I know that I can replace it easily and, like, I don't need my stuff to be happy. And it's given me a lot more freedom because now I can, like, spend my time focusing on things that truly add value to my life. All right. That, let me just say on behalf of, of all of us, that's inspiring. And we have a lot to learn from you. Can we give Diana a hand? Thank you, Diana. Yeah. Uh, I, I love how Diana said that the, one of the benefits is that my stuff doesn't define me. You know, that, that, that's like a cry of freedom, you know? Like when Paul says that the love of money and materialism is, is, ensnares you, it's a trap. I, I think what I'm hearing Diana say is like, actually, it feels good to be free. You know, have not that stuff define you. And what I also was hearing from what Diana was sharing is that just stuff just means less, you know? Um, Diana was saying to me that, that she did this and then and people didn't notice, <laughs> right? I was going to say anything every day if you didn't even notice. And uh, I, thank you, Diana. That was really, that's inspirational for us. Um, 
can it be that Diana is realizing the truth of what Paul was saying when is that you don't need all this stuff to be happy? And I just want to reiterate that last part. Jesus is enough. Now, I said there is a simple idea today that if we really believed it, if we really believed it, I think it has potential to change a lot of things in life. We live crazy busy. Can it be that this truth, that you don't need all this stuff to be happy, might be the truth of Jesus Christ that actually sets you free in many ways, sets your calendar free in many ways, sets you free in many ways because Jesus is enough. The goal is not having less stuff. That's just legalism. No, no, no. The goal is having stuff matter to you less and having Jesus matter to you more. Where you're in this place where you're like, I got Jesus. I got everything. I got everything I need. I want to end this message on one last thought. Here it is. What would your life be like if you really, really believed? What Jesus says and what Paul says, that you don't need all this stuff to be happy and that Jesus is enough. What would happen to your life if you really, really believed that? Let me put it like this. If Jesus said you can't serve both God and money, that you either love one or hate the other, what would your life look like if you were really clear which master you served? Let me put it like this. Um... Uh, Y'all have one of these in your pocket, okay? Just a very simple exercise. If you really believed that you do not need stuff to be happy, then what is this? Put it put it this way: Uh, Jesus says you can't serve you can't serve me, God, and money. Okay. Well, so in one sense, the, this is a fake God, Jesus is real God. And then what does this become when Jesus becomes your real God? It becomes a tool. It's disposable. It's something that you use to bless other people. Money becomes a tool that you give away. Here, uh, take this. Please get a... Actually, I want that back at the end of the message. No, I'm, I'm just... No, no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, take it, have coffee, treat all the college students, right? It's a tool to bless all the people. It's a tool. What is your house? Well, it's not something that makes me happy. It's something that I can use to serve other people with. Yes, I can invite people into my home. Yes, I can open my house for Bible study. Yes. If we really knew that we don't need stuff to make us happy, it would change things. There would be a difference between what I want versus what I need. I've been telling my wife, I think I need an iPhone X. This is a real conversation. And she basically has said to me in her own words, you want an iPhone X, but you don't need one. It's good to marry a good wife. You, you guys, if we really believed that we don't need all this stuff to be happy, it holds potential to change how we live. Think, think with me on this. If you, if you don't need all that stuff, if you only need less stuff, then wouldn't that mean that you would need to work less? And if you work less, wouldn't that mean you would have more time for what's more important? Isn't that what Diana said? Like by doing this, I, it, gives me, it gives me freedom to focus on other things. 
what could you do with more time? Some of us are crazy busy. Yeah, why are you crazy busy? If you had more time because you realize you need less stuff to truly be happy, then you could have more of the things that matter, like family time. If you have kids, it means more time together with your kids. You could be more available. You could have more time to do devotions together. It means you could have more rest, time for rest. It means you could have more time to do stuff that gives you life. It means more time in God's word. It means you have more time to make disciples and invite them into your home, like we talked about last week. I think that if we really believe this truth, it has tremendous power to set us free and to set a new course for our lives and our career. Even for college students or people who are rethinking their career, your career would not be determined by what would make you the most money. People with affluence can ask that question. What would, what would make me the most money? But if Jesus be your master, knowing... Uh, knowing Jesus and his will for you and your gifts and human need, then your career can be set, well, how can I best serve the world? Which is, by the way, the name of our series. There would be freedom to have passion and real purpose in why I'm here. And dare I say that our careers might change. For so many of us, we're just crushed for time and so crazy, crazy busy that really knowing that we don't need all this stuff to be happy could just be a deal breaker for us in the best sort of way. It would lead towards a life of freedom, of joy, of meaning, and that, that deep feeling that Jesus is more than enough. If our stuff meant less to us and Jesus meant more, and if Jesus is my master and yours, then the very fabric of life would change. Everything would change. Lord Jesus, let those changes come. In the beginning of this message, we asked that we would wait on the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit now is personalizing this message for you, inviting you to make some changes, then that same Spirit will sustain you as you go home and let him live through your life. We serve a beautiful master who emptied himself for love's sake. And then turns to you as a savior to receive, but as a path to follow. Say, come lose your life for my sake. And you will find it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that there are profound implications for simple truths. I thank you that your word is countercultural, that at the essence, if we follow, there's freedom. Would you be speaking life and joy and freedom to us this week? Would you continue to work in our hearts and to make this message real and to make the path of Jesus joyful? And to make our hearts sincerely grateful for the one who emptied himself. He is indeed a savior to receive. In his name we pray. Amen.